0: This week I watched a really interesting documentary on BBC. It was called Parole. When a person is convicted of a serious crime, they're given a prison sentence. And when that sentence is first read out in court, the criminal is told how many years they must serve behind bars. Yet, at the same time, they're also told how many years they must serve before they'll be considered for parole. If the criminal works hard in prison, completes various counselling and behaviour courses, and turns their life around, they may be considered for release earlier than the maximum term of their sentence. And that decision is made by the parole board. And the documentary follows the work of the Parole Board as they make their rulings on various cases. Now one of the prisoners that viewers get to meet in the series is called Matthew. And 15 years ago, he violently murdered a young woman on a public street. There is no excuse for that, of course. But there were reasons for how he had come to such a place. He was the son of drug addicts. He'd been brought up in an abusive environment. And he'd been abandoned so many times he was left with severe mental health issues. The murder happened when a robbery went wrong. He was trying to steal 20 pounds to buy drugs. The young woman fought back and he hit her. In the melee with a hammer. Matthew's crime was so serious he was not actually being considered for release. The parole board was meeting to decide whether he could be moved to a lower category prison, one from which he'd be asked to complete work assignments within the community. So, through the course of the documentary, they told Matthew's story what he'd been like 15 years ago, and how things had changed in prison. What was most interesting to me was that Matthew had become a Christian. We saw him praying in the chapel. We met the prison chaplain that worked with him week in, week out. And it really did seem like a miracle was at work in Matthew's life. He had full remorse for his crime. His character and temperament had changed. He was not perfect yet. He still made mistakes. And in this instance, one of those mistakes actually cost him his parole. But the ongoing transformation was undeniable. The prison chaplain vouched for it. And I, for one, believed it. I thought it was a great example of the power of God to forgive and turn around even the most broken and hardened of lives. But how does God do this? How does God get in behind bars and through locked doors? How does God break through decades of bitterness and resentment, pain and sin? How does God make someone new? He does it by his Holy Spirit. There are no limits or barriers to the work of the Holy Spirit. There is no heart that the Holy Spirit cannot reach. And there is such life-giving potential in the Spirit that truly anything can happen when the Spirit goes to work. In our reading from John's Gospel, God turned up behind locked doors. He did the same for Matthew in prison in 2020. And as a result, whether Matthew ever gets parole or not, one day we will meet him in glory. And we will celebrate God's goodness by his side. And I look forward to it. As a church, we are following a series looking at what Christians believe and today we're focusing on the Holy Spirit and we're going to ask four very simple questions. Who is the Holy Spirit? Where is the Holy Spirit in the Bible? What does the Holy Spirit do? And finally how can we receive the Holy Spirit into our lives today? Let's get started. So who is the Holy Spirit? Well, in our reading from John's Gospel, we read these words in verses 21 and 22. Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus breathed and the Holy Spirit was given. And that's important because throughout the Bible, the Spirit is presented as the breath of God. The Hebrew word for the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament is ruach. The Greek word in the New Testament is pneuma, the word from which we get pneumatic tires on our bikes and cars, tires filled with air. Ruach and pneuma both have the same breadth of meaning. They can mean wind... Breath or spirit. Notice how these are all very natural metaphors. They are natural language to describe natural phenomena. And that's key because the Holy Spirit is the way that God is at work within his creation today. The Holy Spirit is what connects all of nature to the throne room of heaven. Now, each of those slightly different interpretations offers us a richer insight into who the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit is like the wind. We cannot see the wind, but we feel its effect. The wind has great power. On Isla, we can see how it's molded trees and cliffs into shape. The wind is uncontainable. It blows where it pleases. The wind brings change. So does the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is like breath. Breath is life-giving. Indeed, a human being cannot survive without it. The Holy Spirit is the very breath of God in us. And the purpose of the Spirit is to energize and impart life to us and thirdly the holy spirit is well spirit when we think of the spirit of a person we think of their character their essence their driving motives wow that's a spirited young person we say someone's spirit is very personal to them indeed it it defines them And so too it is with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is very personal. The Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is a he, she. The the Holy Spirit is the, the very essence, the very personhood of God. A full member of the Trinity alongside the Father and the Son. Now sadly throughout history the Spirit has been referred to as the Holy Ghost. That is a terrible translation of this word. Ghosts are usually linked to the dead. The spirit is all about life. Ghosts tend to be malevolent. The spirit is always good. Ghosts are shadowy and less than real. The Holy Spirit is very real and brings the truth to bear. We need to grasp that the Holy Spirit is God. God at work in his world. The Holy Spirit is a powerful wind that cannot be boxed up, a breath that imparts life, and a spirit that brings us into the character of God. And for all these things, the Holy Spirit is worthy of our attention and worship. So that answers the first question Who is the Holy Spirit? The second question is this Where is the Holy Spirit in the Bible? Now, you may have been coming to church for a while now. You may have heard a lot about Father God and a lot about Jesus, but rather less about the Holy Spirit. Well, if that is the case, it could be due to a deficiency in my preaching, or it could be due to the Holy Spirit's own desire to always give glory to the Father and the Son. But either way, it needs correcting. Because the Holy Spirit is right throughout the whole Of the Bible. Indeed the Holy Spirit is there on the very first page in the very first paragraph and the Spirit is there on the very last page in the very last paragraphs. And I'd like to very briefly try and plot this out. In the very beginning the Holy Spirit was involved in creation. It was the Spirit that brought order and beauty out of the chaotic waters. The Spirit was breathed into human beings by God to bring us life. So in a very real way, all of our lives are dependent on the Holy Spirit's work. Yet, As we go on, we begin to see the Spirit acting in additional ways. Throughout the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit comes upon particular people at particular times to empower them to do particular tasks. The first person that the Holy Spirit came upon in the Bible was a man called Bezalel. The Spirit gave Bezalel all the skill, all the artistry he needed to make the tabernacle. An incredibly ornate structure that would become God's sanctuary on earth. From Bezalel, the pattern is repeated again and again. The Spirit came upon Gideon to empower him to be a leader of God's people. The Spirit came upon Samson to give him the strength to defeat Israel's enemies. The Spirit came upon David to make him a good king. The Spirit came upon Isaiah to enable him to prophesy, to pass on God's word. So you can see the Holy Spirit came upon particular people at particular times to empower them to do a particular task. But as the centuries passed still further, God began to promise a very new thing. Rather than the Holy Spirit just coming on one or two people here or there, the Holy Spirit was going to be released in a great flood on all of God's people. The prophet Joel foresaw that one day God would pour out his spirit on all people, young and old, male and female, all would dream dreams and speak out the words of God as a result. The prophet Ezekiel foresaw that God would put his spirit in the hearts of all who believed and transform them from the inside out. The prophet Jeremiah saw that God was going to pour out on his people, his Holy Spirit, so that everyone everywhere could really know him. These were great promises that spoke of a big step forward in God's plans. Yet for over 300 years, all seemed to go quiet. These great prophecies lay dormant, waiting to spring into life. At the beginning of the New Testament, suddenly that all changes. In the opening pages, there is an explosion of spirit-based activity. In the Christmas story, Mary, Elizabeth, Zechariah, John the Baptist and Simeon all have the Holy Spirit come upon them in a very short space of time. And the effect of the Spirit on them all was the same. They began to announce that God's promises of old were about to be fulfilled. And this was seen most clearly of all in the ministry of John the Baptist. He told everyone that he was preparing the way for the one who would come after him. He baptized with water, but the one who was to come would baptize with the Holy Spirit. And it's worth noting the literal meaning of the word baptize here. Because the word baptize does not mean sprinkling. It doesn't mean a few drips of liquid here and there. The word baptize means immerse, flood, drench, overwhelm. When God promised Messiah came, he was going to give God's people the Holy Spirit in a way that totally changed their lives. It would empower them. To change the world around them. When the Spirit was released, there'd be no holding him back. He would flood over any barriers that people tried to put in his path. And of course, having made that great promise, John the Baptist then introduces us to Jesus. And immediately we see the evidence of all these prophecies becoming true. When John baptizes Jesus, the Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove. And the Spirit would empower all of Jesus' life. The Spirit would fill Jesus to such an extent that Jesus could breathe the Holy Spirit out onto other people. Now, throughout Jesus' ministry on earth, Jesus also started making promises about the Holy Spirit. He was making it possible for the Spirit to to come he would forgive people's sins he would cleanse people's hearts to make it possible for the Holy Spirit to then come and take up residence within them eventually after his death and resurrection Jesus told his followers that he must go back to heaven so he could then pour out his Holy Spirit on them all They were to wait in Jerusalem until he did it. And afterwards, in the Spirit's power, they were to go out into all the world and share the good news of the gospel. And of course, this is precisely what happened. Forty days after his resurrection, Jesus ascended into heaven. Ten days after that, the Holy Spirit came down in wind and fire on the day of Pentecost. And from now on, the promise of the Bible is very clear. Anyone who repents of their sin, believes in Christ, declares that through baptism, will receive the Holy Spirit into their lives. And so the Holy Spirit now lives within believers everywhere. He is here in this room, here in our hearts. The temple of the Holy Spirit is God's church right across the world. And from there, the Spirit is reaching out, drawing others into the kingdom, telling them about Jesus. From there, the Spirit is driving all things on until the day when Christ returns and God's purposes are finally completed. Now, I know that that is a whistle-stop tour, but I hope we get the point. The Holy Spirit is fully God. The Holy Spirit is throughout the whole of the Bible. Indeed, it was the Spirit that empowered the Bible to be written. And the Holy Spirit is the driving force behind the purposes of God. And right now, the Holy Spirit lives within the hearts of all those who believe. So that takes us on to our third question. What does the Holy Spirit do? And the answer to this is a lot. I could do a whole series of sermons on this one question. I could talk about the way the Spirit adopts us into God's family. I could talk about the way the Spirit unites us with all other believers. I could talk about the gifts of the Spirit or the fruit of the Spirit in our character. I could talk about the way the Holy Spirit prays for us and helps us to pray. But for now, I want to sum it up in three brief, but hopefully memorable, points. Peace, power, and purpose. And this is from our reading in John 20. After Jesus' crucifixion, the disciples were terrified. They'd lost their master, they'd lost their best friend, and they thought that their names were next on the Romans' execution list. And hence, in our reading, they're cowering behind locked doors. And so it was natural then that the first words that the risen Jesus spoke when he went to meet with them were words of peace. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. He actually says it twice. Just before Jesus breathed the Holy Spirit upon them, he says it again. Peace be with you. And the Holy Spirit still works to bring peace into our lives today. With the Holy Spirit in our hearts, we are assured that Almighty God is always with us. We're never alone. He faces our challenges alongside us. He's always there to help us through them. The Holy Spirit brings comfort and calm. The Holy Spirit brings the assurance that one day we'll take our place in the kingdom of God. The Holy Spirit whispers kindness when our hearts and minds are racing. The Spirit calms our anxiety and stills our fears. The Holy Spirit longs to bring peace into our lives. But after bringing peace to the disciples in John 20, notice Jesus doesn't allow them to sit still. They now have a very important task to do. Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed out the Holy Spirit upon them. You see, the Holy Spirit brings purpose into our lives. The Bible describes the Holy Spirit as the driving force of creation. The Spirit is driving the whole universe on to God's intended conclusion. Well, so too the Holy Spirit drives us on in our lives. Through the Spirit, God leads his people out into the world to live and witness for him, to do the things that he would do. How does the Holy Spirit do this? Well, the Spirit does it by acting as a guide and a counsellor. The Spirit leads us through our consciences. And the longer you are a Christian, the quicker you become to recognize the Spirit's voice in your being. When to act. When to speak. When to protest. When to make peace. When to sit still. When to pack up and move on entirely. The Spirit drives the people of God out to serve in His mission in the world. It gives us purpose. So the Spirit brings peace and purpose, finally the Holy Spirit brings power into our lives. Jesus gave his followers a huge task to do. We just cannot ignore how important or serious our work is. Just listen to how Jesus describes it. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they're not forgiven. In other words, we're to preach the gospel, and how people respond to that has eternal implications for their souls. Now, what human being is possibly up to that task? And the answer is, not one of us, not a single one of us, can do that in our own strength. And that's precisely why Jesus breathes out his Holy Spirit on this occasion, The same spirit that had the power to bring his three day dead body back to life now rests in us. The spirit will empower our words. The spirit will give us gifts and talents. The spirit will give us the strength to stand up to adversity. And I know this to be true in my own life. I I live a life almost daily consumed by anxiety. It's the result of things that have happened to me in the past. And I can tell you that there's no way that I could stand up at the front of church every week unless the Holy Spirit was empowering me to do it. We all have different callings. We all face different challenges. But God grants us his Holy Spirit so that we have the power to take on whatever we face and to succeed for the Lord. I think prisoner Matthew found the peace and purpose and power to turn his life round through the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit (coughs) wants to do the same for us all. I hope this sermon has been a helpful explanation for us. I hope that it has led us all to the point where we recognize our own need for the Holy Spirit in our lives. So that takes us to our final question How do we receive the Spirit today? And on this, the Bible was clear. God wants to give his spirit. And therefore, he's kept the process very simple. On the day that that Holy Spirit first came, the day of Pentecost, the crowd asked the disciples, what should we do next? And Peter's response in Acts 2.38 was this. Repent and be baptized, every one of you. In the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. In other words, you and me, 2,000 years later. This is a promise. A promise made to all believers including us today. If we want the Spirit in our lives, we must repent of our sin, turn to believe in Jesus and give our lives to him as symbolized through baptism. To receive the Spirit, all it takes is a simple act of prayer and faith, but a simple act that we must mean profoundly. And I urge us to make that step if we've not already done so. If we have, we can rest assured that the Spirit is already at work in our lives. If we're facing a tough time, we can always ask for a little extra. Ask for God to fill us again. Because the good news is that God loves to pour himself out to bring help to his people. So let's turn to him now in prayer and receive his good gift